What's the biggest mess you've ever had to clean up? I remember a couple years after Carrie and I moved to Lakeville, we were going to host our families for Thanksgiving dinner. And one of the things that we were going to serve was mashed potatoes. So there is a lot of peeling of potatoes that need to happen when you're making lots of mashed potatoes. And you got to understand something because this story is going to make me sound really dumb. And I might be, but I hadn't really been in charge of taking care of a house probably ever, and that was only a year or two into it and understanding how everything works. So I thought it might be an okay idea to put all of the peels in the sink and to just run them through the garbage disposal. Yeah, and so we turned on the garbage disposal with this pile of peels. Again, I don't know what I was thinking, and it didn't work so well. In fact, They made it out of the sink, but they then were lodged in all of the plumbing underneath the sink. And so the sink didn't drain, the dishwasher next to it would not work, and the worst part of all was that we had a water filtration system that was also kind of connected in there. Yeah, potato peels in all of that as well, which caused the filtration system to back up. And so now we've got water leaking under the sink and actually through the floor into the utility room underneath in the basement. And remember, we've got company coming over for the first Thanksgiving dinner at our new house that we're at in about an hour or so. And right now I'm smiling and you guys are clearly laughing at my expense, but in the moment, there was no laughing going on. I'll tell you that. I had no idea how to even start. There was this mess that I needed to address, but there was, I didn't know what to do. We ended up calling Roto-Rooter, who said and told us that Thanksgiving happens to be one of the most busy times for plumbers, believe it or not. Now, that story about potatoes, compared to some of the messes maybe that you've experienced or gone through, might sound like small potatoes. And for many of us, the mess that's been the hardest to deal with and to work through isn't something like mud on a floor or markers on a wall or potatoes in plumbing. It's stuff that's going on inside. For some of you, the biggest mess you're dealing with or have dealt with might be a relational mess. Maybe it's with a spouse. In-laws, maybe it's kids, maybe it's siblings. And the hurt is so deep and the gap is so wide that it's a relational mess and you don't even know really where to start or how to begin. For others of you, maybe the the mess that's really eating you up and needs some addressing might be a financial mess. And you read the book that someone recommended and you got a financial advisor, but the truth is that the reason you're in this mess was decisions that were made over a long period of time. And so they're not gonna get solved in just a month or even a year. For others of you, it's an emotional mess. And 
you're feeling inside this messiness and you're just not sure what to do with it. Um, You find yourself being sad a lot. You find yourself being worried a lot. You find yourself being crabby and you don't wanna be crabby or angry and you know it's affecting people and you don't want to feel these things. You don't want to have this come out, but it's just, it's an emotional mess. You don't even know where to start. We're here to address the mess, to address the messiness that's inside every one of us. And I want to emphasize that inside every single one of us in one way or another at one time or another is a mess. And that's why even if you look all put together on the outside, last week we learned this, that I'm the messiest person that I know. And that should be the case for every single one of us. And here's why. Because you know you, and especially your thoughts and your motives, better than every, anyone else. Have you ever done something that on the outside looked really nice and really kind? But if, if people knew why you were doing it, often sometimes we do the right thing or the nice thing to get something out of it, that it wouldn't look nice at all. It would look super selfish. I think oftentimes as a husband, I think that I can find myself falling into that pattern. I think this is true for every single one of us. That's just one example of how we know ourselves better than anyone. And even the nice things or the good things that other people see at times is related to a mess that's inside I am the messiest person I know, and I'm guessing that is true for you as well. So here's the question. What should you do with your mess? People try lots of things. Some people try to just blame other people. Like the reason things are inside me or the, the, the feelings I have inside me. The reason why it's that way is because of what he did to me or what she did or how he or she acted or what they're doing in Washington, D.C. That's why it's all their fault. And can there be influences from others for how we're feeling? Absolutely. But as one good friend of mine told me, no one can make you feel anything. You are in control of your emotions and your feelings. For others, people, maybe the way they deal with their mess is just by avoiding it, pretending it's not there, but that has a very short shelf life. And eventually it comes up. Eventually you have to open that garage door and see what's inside. And for other people, for other people, you know you've got a mess on your hands, but you're just overwhelmed by it. And it's not that you're trying to avoid it. It's not that you're blaming others. You're just overwhelmed by everything that you're dealing with. I want to give you some hope right here at the beginning. And no matter who you are or what you've done or what you're facing or how messy your life is, our first fill-in for today is this. Jesus is not afraid of your mess. If you're someone who doesn't have your life all together, 
who finds yourself going through something that is really difficult, that is embarrassed of some things you've done or said, I just want you to know, this is the place for you. We don't celebrate here at North Cross a God who only loves people without messes because there isn't anyone like that. We celebrate today, we celebrate always at North Cross a God who loves us despite our messes. And maybe better than me just telling you that, I think what would be better is for me to show you an example of it. So during Jesus' ministry, there was this time when the church leaders of the day brought before him, before Jesus, a lady who had been caught committing adultery. And these church leaders brought this lady to Jesus to see what he might say about this lady because the Old Testament law for those who are caught committing adultery was that they were to be put to death. They were to be stoned. And so listen to what Jesus' reply is as they bring this lady with a mess in front of him. John chapter eight, it's written this. Jesus says, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. In week one, we talked a little bit about this, but we're gonna come back to it here just for a moment, that this series is not about other people's messes. It's not about his mess or her mess. It's not about their messes. This series is all about my mess because as we said, I am the messiest person that I know. But you see, Jesus recognized there's something in us that would rather focus on other people's messes. It's easier that way as opposed to really digging in to our own. Listen to what happens next. At this, those who heard Jesus began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked this lady who had been caught in adultery, women or woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. And then listen to what the sinless son of God, Jesus, says to this woman caught in a mess. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. That is why we celebrate every week. That is the heart of why our mission is to lead people to Jesus. This is the, the centerpiece of the Bible and of our hope that I'm the messiest person I know. And yet, because of Jesus, he doesn't just get rid of me. He doesn't just ignore me. He doesn't condemn me. But instead, he came to save me. He came to save us from our messes. He came to die on the cross in our place and to give us that hope that we talk about all the time. 
And to be quite honest, this type of idea about God was something that was not normal for people. You see, all man-made faith systems, it's all about what do I do? How do I clean up myself first in order to make God love me? And the true God, he's all about undeserved grace and love that I love you so much and I sent Jesus so that I'm going to clean you up. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to save you. Now, it's an amazing message, and Jesus has done all the work for that. But I want you to hear the last thing that Jesus says that is so important as now we move forward knowing that Jesus doesn't condemn us because of our mess. Listen to what he tells the lady. I don't condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You made a mess with the actions that you made or the choice that you made, he's saying. I don't condemn you for that. I forgive you, but don't put potato peels in your sink again. You saw the mess that was made. You saw what happened to the plumbing. Don't do that again. Go now and leave your life of sin. And this is a really, really important thing to remember because I found lots of people either who are trying to understand Christianity or who are in it. We often find ourselves thinking that because God forgives me, well, it doesn't really matter what I do because grace is amazing and it's undeserved. So I'm just going to get that forgiveness anyway, right? Our second fill-in, I think, hits on it. It says, Jesus meets us in our mess, but he doesn't want us to stay there. You know, when, when we follow more closely to Jesus out of response to what he's done, there's a lot of good things that happen. You know what one of the things that happens is? We experience fewer messes because Jesus has perfect direction for our lives. When we follow more closely, there's gonna be fewer messes. And yet we often fall back into this habit that I mentioned before. If Jesus, we, we think this way, if Jesus cleans up my mess, then it doesn't matter what I do. Now, that's because we sometimes forget that faith is a relationship. Faith is a relationship that God started in us and through us and with us because of Jesus, but then that we get to live in that relationship what other relationship would this type of thinking work with? Think about being a kid. And what if, what if you decided for a week or longer that because often mom and dad pick up messes that I'm just going to make as many messes as I can? 
And so, you know, I'm not going to put away the dishes. I'm going to just throw my laundry in the hallway. Um, I'm going to uh, just throw my garbage on the floor. And maybe some of you young people already do that. I don't know. Probably not a good idea. Um, If you did that all the time, it's not going to go well for you. This never works. If, If mom cleans up my mess, it doesn't matter what I do. That has worked for no child ever. You know why? Because mom, much like Jesus, is not a roto-rooter that you call and pay. It's a relationship. Or if my dad cleans up my mess, it doesn't matter what I do. Or in marriages, this would never work either. If my spouse cleans up my mess, whether that be emotional or a real mess, It doesn't matter what I do. That never works. And that's at the heart of it when it comes to our faith relationship. When when we're in a loving relationship, it does matter what we do. Not to earn forgiveness, not to earn heaven, but because our whole lives are a response. So if you're tracking with me, And if you understand the love of Jesus, we are going to want to have less messes. And oh, by the way, life goes better for us too when there's less messes. So here's the question. How do we create less of a mess? How does that happen? A pastor in the first century named Paul, he gives us some good direction around this in a pretty well-known section of Galatians, a letter that he wrote to Christians in Galatia. And I'm going to read those words now. We're going to start at verse uh, 19 in chapter 5. Paul writes, The acts of the flesh are obvious. The activities of the sinful nature, the things that come naturally to us, those things are obvious. Now, this is a long list. Some of the things on here are going to make you blush, but these are the things that come naturally to people, like sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we just live according to our sinful nature, we are showing ourselves to be disconnected from God, that we are not in relationship with him. All of us can recognize these are not good things to have in our lives. And you might wonder, what does Paul say next? He gives this whole big long list of acts of the flesh that are going to, at the end of the day, create messes in our lives. You know that when you're thinking of these things objectively, and yet some of these things we find ourselves falling into, right? What does Paul say next? What I would guess he would say if I hadn't read these verses would be this. Stop it. Stop doing those things. Stop making a mess in your life. Okay. 
Well, that's easier said than done. There are some things that we can just stop doing. There's other things because of the sinful nature that just continue to happen over and over again. So Paul is actually more helpful than just stop it. Here's what he says, and then we're going to talk about it. He says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So he, he starts by saying, here are the attributes or the characteristics or the, the mindset that we should go after. And when we have more of these things in our lives, there will be less of the things from the previous list. Like if, if we have more love in our hearts for other people, there's going to be more hatred from the previous list. If we have more joy, there's going to be less discord. If we have more peace about our lives and what we have, there's going to be less jealousy. And we can go on and on with those things. But I think the most helpful part of this, at least from an application perspective, is to look at what Paul calls these things. He could have used the word characteristic, but instead he uses the word fruit. I'm guessing every single person in this room wants more of these things. Because when we have more of these things, there's gonna be less messes. But how do we get them? Paul says, they're fruit. Let me share with you the difference or what this means. Take an apple tree as an example. Imagine you've got an apple tree and you do nothing to take care of it. You don't spray it. Um, if it's a dry season, you don't water it. Uh, you don't prune it. You just let it grow Will it be any surprise then at harvest time in the fall that the apples either are small or shriveled or, or maybe they've got worms and bugs in them? What do you do with that bad fruit? That's kind of like Paul's first list. What do you do with that bad fruit? Well, how helpful would it be if you decided to sort of just take the bugs out and pull the worms out. And then when there's, you know, maybe some soft spots that look a little black, not a nice looking piece of fruit. You just get some uh, red spray paint and spray paint it and, and then serve them. Put them in an apple pie or something like that. Not too good. That doesn't help to focus only on the fruit. You know what you want to do to receive good fruit? You don't focus on the fruit, you focus on the tree. And you take care of the tree, and guess what happens? The fruit come. You water the tree, you spray the tree, and the resulting fruit are good and tasty and what you want. Listen to what Paul says in the very next verse after he talks about these 
fruit of faith. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul's talking about the tree. He's talking about something inside that then will show itself on the outside. He's crucified the flesh, it says. That means that our sinful nature, while it's still there, and we still battle against it every single day until we get to heaven, that it no longer has power over us. That because of Jesus, we can, maybe not perfectly, but we can begin to change We can make changes that have caused these messes, not because we're so great, but because Jesus did something in us. See, here's the thing about the change from God. It takes longer, but it's also longer lasting. Jesus, number three, decides to change us from the inside out. He doesn't go after right away the symptoms. He goes towards the root and he changes us inside from the inside out. And that is why when you become a Christian, when you follow Jesus, your eternity changes in a moment because that's the power of what Jesus did for us through his forgiveness. But Christian maturity, it's a process. It takes time. We grow in it. Like you can build a building faster just by putting bricks down faster. But for those of you who grow trees or gardens, what do you do to make the harvest come quicker? Not much, right? But you just continue to love on the plant, you take care of the tree. You do the right things for the tree and you gotta wait sometimes. And there's not a lot of fruit in the winter, of course, but when you take care of the tree, eventually you receive a harvest. And that's what Paul's talking about. It is the fruit of the spirit, a harvest that comes, those attributes, based on how we daily take care of the tree that God himself started in us. And so how do we take care of things? What do we do? That's how Paul ends this section. Verse 25, he says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. All right, what does that mean? Well, verse 16, that kind of led off this section, he says a very similar thing. He says, so I say, live by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So how do we do that? Let me give you this illustration. So pretty much every summer, someone asks me this question and it's not a bad question, I just don't know how to answer it. They asked me this question. Are you a golfer? I don't know. And what I mean by that is I I have some clubs and I have golf shoes and I have tees and little pencils in the golf bag. And I golf sometimes like once every other summer Am I a golfer? Yes. 
I golf sometimes. Now, if you would ask the same question of Sergio Garcia or Phil Mickelson, they could answer with a resounding, yes, I'm a golfer. They think about golf all the time. They play it probably almost every single day. I mean, they have clubs and a bag and shoes, but it's an entirely different thing for them, right? I think far too often in our faith lives, and and this, this happens to every single one of us in one season or at one time or another, we're content to just have the bag and the clubs and do the Christian thing once in a while. But that's not keeping in step with the Spirit. At the heart of keeping in step with the Spirit, what Paul is talking about is that our faith is not something we do, but it's something we are. It's something that we center our lives around and we make the foundation of who we are. And will there still be messes? Yes. But will there be fruit? Absolutely. And Paul says, you want these fruit of the Spirit? Then keep in step with the Spirit. You know what we need to do? We need to focus not just on the fruit that we want. Let's spend some time focusing on the tree. Let's be diligent and deliberate and committed to working on the tree every single day because the harvest will come. So number four, what does it look like in my life to keep in step with the Spirit? What does that look like for you? What commitments are you going to make? What watering needs to be done? What spraying needs to be done, so to speak, so that the fruit will follow? And I thought about this question for me, and I thought it might be helpful for you if I shared the three things that I have found to be at the heart of staying in step with the Spirit. These do not need to be your three things, although I think it's a pretty good list, you know, if I do say so myself, but they do not need to be your list. What what I've done very deliberately, and it's come over time, but the first thing that I've found that I need to commit to is weekly worship. I need to spend time every single week to just get the clutter out of my life and to celebrate who God is. And whether that's online or in person, either is fine. I think there's something special and good about being in person, but I need to commit to a time every week where I'm gonna worship God for who he is. The second thing, and this is something that came even more over time, but I daily devotions. I found that when I'm not consistent with this, that I'm not in step with the spirit as much. Something's lacking. Weekly worship, daily devotions, and then I need to be intentional with this, Christian community. If I don't consistently pour into, and then in return, I get the blessing of them pouring into me, a group of Christians, I find myself straying. I find myself not being as healthy as I could be. But when I have gospel-motivated people in my life, when I'm intentional with that, it's amazing. 
at North Cross, we have this thing you hear us talk a lot about called growth groups. That's, that's the whole idea behind them. I, Carrie and I started being in community with other Christians in a small group about 12 to 14 years ago. And I can never see a time in my life where there will be extended time without that ever again. For others of you, uh, maybe you're part of a group of Christians at college, uh, made those uh, very deliberate decisions that I'm going to surround myself with the right people or in high school, or maybe it's, it's somewhere else. But we all need to find Christian community. And I found this is something that has helped me. So... All of us have messes in our lives. We will not be able to avoid them this side of heaven. What should you do with your mess? First of all, recognize that Jesus is with you and comes into your mess with you. He loves you in spite of it. And secondly, ask yourself the question, what can I do to stay in step with the Spirit because Jesus would rather us not go back to that mess. And with the Holy Spirit, we have the power to be able to have good fruit that create less of a mess. Let's pray. Dear Lord, like so many things we talk about here at church and that you shared with us in the word, it is easier to talk about than it is to do. I would pray that every single person in this room takes some time this week to just consider what does it look like for me to stay in step with the Spirit? What commitments do I need to make? What disciplines do I need to get back at or start for the very first time? Because as we stay in step with the Spirit, as Paul directs, there is a harvest of fruit that you're going to work in our lives and in our hearts. And so Lord, I pray for your presence and blessing on every single one of the people in this room and listening online. In Jesus' name, amen.